Hi, I'm Paul, the Ripples Guy. Welcome to the Ripples Podcast, where we share quick splashes of inspiration and explore how even our smallest actions can have an ongoing impact on our lives, the people we connect with, and the whole world. Are you in? I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope you enjoy today. Hello, peeps. It's Paul the Ripples Guy, also known as Uncle Paul to more people because I have been referring to myself as Uncle Paul at some of my talks. And so now come people come up to after a talk and a couple of people said, thank you, Uncle Paul. And I'm like, you're welcome. Um, and also known as Cal Poly to my to my San Luis Obispo, my peeps out at Cal Poly that I'll be heading back to soon. I am so glad to be joining you live on Thursday, August 24th with a um, little more than a dozen of Patreon peeps. And for some of you watching this later or listening to the recording, it's so good to be with you through the space-time continuum. And um, may, we, may we have a quantum entanglement. So today's topic is a potpourri of ponderables. We are going to stick with our traditional um, format. You all know Pebble, Boulder, Ponder, and our weekly ripples. Here, the pebble is a resource that I'm using in my worker life. And I'd like to read you a quote. This is from Mark Manson, who uh, has a newsletter, that a weekly newsletter I've been enjoying. And I'm going to put the link in in just a second. But as I was deciding on what little pebble to share with you today, this quote came in his, I think it was two weeks ago or last week's weekly newspaper uh, newsletter. Approach life advice, not like immutable laws, but rather like trying on clothes. Some advice will fit you well and flatter you. Other advice will not. Advice that may work great on one person may work terribly on the next. So pick and choose your advice to suit your personality and the occasion. Feel free to discard old advice anytime it stops working for you. And I think given that the, the purpose of today is for me to share some interesting tidbits on various things, and three of the things I'm going to share with you are lists of basically advice, I just love starting off with, remember, some of this might be for you, some of it's not, and some of it not so much, and, and some of it may be very context dependent. The boulder in our Zoomy Zooms is an activity that I'm using either uh, professionally or personally. And I'm excited to share with you. I don't know that I've shared this with you before. The process by which this uh, presentation came to be. And it says it's called my snippets and ideas file. And it was based on I was listening to I think it was Barry Scott Kaufman interview some folks about creativity um, in a little video that I used in a presentation um, a, a few years ago. And this guy was talking about how you try to capture ideas and remember them. And he followed the idea that I used, uh, that I picked up from someone else about my to-do list. I have a single capture list that that is where you put every little idea dumps and not try to organize it. Just have a single place that it's held. And he used a Microsoft Word file, and then once a year, he blocked off two days. It took two days because it was such a long document to go through it and review it 
and and look back and see, oh, four years ago, I had this idea that really has not had any uh, use in my work or life, but now it does. And what I started doing, I used an Evernote file because for me, I like using something that is on my phone and syncs with with the document that's on my my computer. And so I uh, but Apple Notes does that. I'm sure, you know, just about every any kind of device you're using, there's some app where you can take notes on your computer. You can you can take notes um, uh, on your phone and they show up in the same place. And I've been using that single document. I've gone through it many times. I'll I'll be preparing some some even sessions I've done with you all where I'm like, I know I read an article about that, about mindfulness a few months ago. And I just have one place to go scroll down. And even just having it in chronological order, a lot of times, sometimes I search on keywords, but on honestly, I'll do this. Well, what I haven't done. Um, I started doing this in the beginning of the pandemic. And what I haven't done is a sit down and review the list. And I was so excited about this topic because that's what I did. I spent several time, several hours um, while I was out in my secret location, um, Colorado, uh, of taking some downtime last month. And I had some really relaxed time of just going through and pulling out some things. I actually pulled out so many things on procrastination that I pulled those all out of the sessions that I'm doing this week. And we're going to do, I think next month, a whole session um, on procrastination. But what I ended up coming up with was a handful of nuggets that I shared with them on Tuesday and a handful of, of nuggets that I want to share with you all. And so with that, let us dive into the ponderables. I will tell you that I, um, for those of you watching the video live um, or the recording, I've, I'm using the feature in Zoom that allows me to use slides as background. Um, and for those of you listening to this, I'm, I'm not, nothing's on there that you won't get from the liner notes. And uh, an idea we had in Tuesday night session was for me to actually upload the PDF, the notes that I'm taking, because then you can have the lists I'm sharing very quick. I will at the end of our live time together put all the links in our um, uh, in in our chat window. I think that's all I wanted to say. So this first thing, so uh, I know what that the so I've got little five buckets of information. Th the three of them are my my hope to get through. The fourth one is 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 really short, and the fifth one isn't very long. We didn't get to it Tuesday, and my my anticipation is we might not get to it. But we're once we stop the recording, if someone reminds me, I'll finish up wherever we leave. This first one, um, if you're not familiar with tinybooted.com, is a really great resource. Um, Lori Desheen, I believe, is how she pronounces her name, and she is active on social media. The Tiny Buddha page is great one to follow, and has a. a a regular newsletter and she's got all kinds of services and products she offers. I've never purchased anything from her, but I've done several things to support her work. And there was a list. She, she, she's like several people who do regular blog post type posts. They're big with the lists. And um, I just really loved this tips for increasing life enjoyment. There's seven of them and her writing style is so great. The first one, imagine Everyone that you meet is someone you're proud of, someone you're excited for, or somebody you're rooting for. And 
I like that attitude tweak as um, until they prove you otherwise, you know, you're allowed to change your mind after you interact with the person. Uh, but when possible, if you start off assuming that the stranger that's approaching you and at your workstation or that you're about to encounter in a store or on the street or whatever, is that you're proud of them already. You're excited about their existence and what they're trying to do in the world and that you're trying to root for them. And I think the easiest way for me to think about it is that I'm 99% sure that someone is proud of this person. Someone is excited about their existence. Someone is rooting for them. And so let me just kind of join that team for a second. And if no one is, well, then they really need somebody. So what might life be like if you started off with that? Um, I love the challenge, uh, number two, of having a mini adventure every day. Can you make it an informal goal to turn something that's a chore into an adventure, to take a different way home, to purposely try to find the place you're looking for without your your Garmin or your GPS or your map or whatever, um, a, a new conversation, something to just make it a little extra fun, a little extra, a, li a little extra special. Number three is related, seeing the world like you're on vacation. I will tell you that, you know, when I'm out in Colorado or I'm somewhere else that I'm I'm purposely on vacay time, there's a different, I have a different relationship to time. Um, oh, that reminds me of something else I want to talk about. Pause. We'll edit that out. Um, seeing the world like you're on vacation reminds me that when I'm in vacation mode, I often have a different relationship to time. And there have been a few times when my schedule here at home base, when I'm, when I'm, and, and it, 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 it happened yesterday and today where my schedule had enough room to breathe that I was able to like walk to lunch today and not think of it like, okay, I got to go grab some lunch at Skyline and get back to my desk and get ready. But it was like, I can take the time. I, I went early and so I knew it wouldn't be as crowded. I lingered. I asked to seat in the section where one of my, the, the wait servers that I know really well. Um, and it creates, it, it's, it creates a different mindset and I can't, I can't always do it. And sometimes I don't remember to do it, but when I do it, it's fabulous. And again, related, the, these all kind of build on each other, leaving white space in your schedule. I will say that my phone calls are so much better when I I think of a full day of communication is when I have two, maybe three calls or videos. But I but I try then to say if somebody's like trying to connect with me is let me pick a day that has zero or one. And I used to have a different strategy. I used to try to pack the early part of my week with all my face to face time, especially once I started zooming because I felt, you know, more of an obligation to be dressed up. And I'm like, no. On the back of my office door is a black T-shirt and a pair of pants so that if I'm in my if I'm in my super casual clothes, it only takes me 30 seconds to put them on while I'm on the call and then, you know, change out of my out of my gab. And it just is better um, taking the pressure off anything you can do to build in padding, to build in space. Um, we there are times when my strategy is to make it a game, to set a timer, and to go, go, go. And I use it. I like that. 
I'm finding that that has a higher cost than I thought it did. And, and that it tends to be the more I gamify things, the more I'd set a timer, the more I, I default to that way of doing it. And I want it to be different. Pr practice happy little habits. Um, she, she, she made this comment in this, make a list of tiny, tiny habits that might supercharge your joy. And when I read that, I immediately thought, you know, there's a handful of songs, including some from the Barbie soundtrack. Um, there, there is uh, a handful of tasks that I that are my fun treat tasks that I really love doing that make me happy that I save for certain times. And I'm learning to dust those off. It's like, no, do some of that every day. What are little things um, that bring you joy? Getting out of your head and into your body. And there's a type of therapy, somatic therapy. There's more and more attention being paid to the fact that we so often live our emotions and we live uh, and, and memories are not just stored in our head. They're, they're stored throughout our body. Our emotions are located. They're not just up here or in here. They are all over. And there is just so much more evidence that finding ways to move more isn't just something that we're supposed to do for, for, for our weight or just for our physical health. It's, it's valuable for managing um, our weight and our overall general health. And there's just so many benefits to emotional regulation, which we're going to talk to and, and, um, and also um, improving our cognitive skill uh, skills and our management of our, of our thinking. Wait, sorry. Let me go back to that and say, so that is Lori's list. And um, during the breakout session, one of the things I'm going to offer, I'm going to throw these in there and say, if there's some that you have tried recently that you start incorporated, I'm curious about that. Ones that you're struggling with or you just want to dive into a little more, I would love to do that. But let's keep, let's keep moving so we can get through at least the three lists. This next list is a list of five, I believe. Yes, five steps to resilience. I didn't find it from this book. There is uh, a guy, Eric Barker, um, who barking up the wrong tree, I believe is his. I'll, I'll put the link in uh, in our chat and in the liner notes if you're listening to the podcast version. Uh, but he does this. He has a great newsletter where he sends out a common thing he does is takes a, a long article or a book and summarizes it. And I would say. He does some summarizing, but he also synthesizes. And so a lot of times when I go back to the original source material, I actually find that I like not only the brevity, but the way he captured and what he captured. So this is the original source material, I think, on this next screen here. Um, sorry, Tomorrow Mind, Thriving at Work with Resilience, Creativity, and Connection, Um and now and in the future. And Martin Seligman, you you may recognize, he's um, a huge, uh, um, one of the founders of positive psychology, has done a lot of work in wellness and well-being. And Gabriella Rosen-Kellerman um, partnered, uh, the two of them worked on this, um, on this research. And the five steps to resilience, what I, I, I really liked about our list, both Tuesday night and today, are not, these are not groundbreaking, oh my gosh, I never heard of that. 
it was a useful way to combine things, sometimes separating them out or saying, you know, that's yet another good reason to think about that. So the five steps to resilience, and this is very research-based that they found people's ability to, to um, bounce back from difficulty uh, and cha change and challenge uh, was greatly enhanced when they these five factors were present. And the first one is emotional regulation. Our ability to understand that feelings aren't facts, that that feelings also aren't permanent. Um, some of you will remember that a longtime Rippler, Tina, and I sort of combined uh, some mottos that we had separately into the it, how important it is to remember that our feelings are valid and they're not always accurate. Feelings sometimes fib. And remember, it is very hard for us when we're having big feels to remember that they're temporary. In general, human beings have the experience of the bigger something is, the more longer it's going to last and, and big, big feels are going to last forever. And being able to remember that even though we can't control our, our emotions or thoughts very well, we can influence them. And there is quite a bit of, that we can do to greet them as friends and, and to uh, engage with them. And optimism is, I find it's best to think of optimism as somewhere in between an emotion and a cognition. I think it has, depending on the definition, some people see it as a cognitive skill. Some people see it as emotion. I think it's useful to remember that seeing the positive side of things is a little bit more cognitive. Feeling hopeful is a little bit more emotions. Both are, are involved in optimism. And it, it, there is a lot of research to suggest that optimism is skill-based, that you can learn optimism. We tend to have a set point of optimism the way we tend to have a set point of happiness and a set point of our, our, our weight. Um, and there's quite a bit we can do to influence whatever our, our given set point is. So I like this list. It puts optimism in between emotional regulation. And then the third one, which is um, they call cognitive agility. And again, what everything I just said about emotions um, is also applicable to our thoughts that remembering that we can't control our thinking we can influence it. And if you've heard of acceptance and commitment therapy, it's um, I some I think this is accurate to, to describe it as either a branch of or a variation on or an advancement of cognitive behavioral therapy. But the, but uh, for a lot of people, they see ACT acceptance and commitment therapy as um, a, a really helpful set of skills that that take that goes a little bit farther than cognitive. Um, and behavioral therapy does at helping people understand you you can't control your thoughts and you can influence them. There's things you can do. And I really liked, I've I haven't seen the, using the term agility to talk about it is your ability to sort of like, okay, we got to do, we got to do some switch. We got this, this persistent doom that's happening here. How can we recognize this as a cognitive distortion or how can we see the fallacy in there? And what do we do to, to maybe befriend it and and meet it, not just try to vanquish it, but but work with it a little bit. I think I think it's a keto that talks about using the energy of your enemy and and a lot of times it's befriending something that you see as a foe. Self compassion. 
not shocking that it makes the list and and not um unheard of in the hey if you if you want to be better in the world you need to be nice to yourself and holy moly is it hard in general we do not treat ourselves with the same amount of compassion that we treat our close friends and people we care about we are so much more hey i'm sorry you're having a bad day hang in there and to internally we're like come on you lazy jerk why are you thinking that that's all you need to do today and finding ways to treat ourselves the way we treat the the people that we're kindest to um, and gentlest to um, is a skill that we can get better with with practice. And sometimes we have to unlearn some things we picked up. They use the term self-efficacy. I was introduced to the term agency by my uh, my friend Toby many years ago and um, thinking about your agency, your ability to take action on behalf of yourself, um, to recognize the control you do have in situations is something we, we so often give away our power either out of habit, out of um, st- struggle or, or, or sometimes ignorance. Like we're not fully aware of how much agency we have in situations. And so finding ways to work on that, I think is useful. So those are the five steps to resilience. Pauses for dramatic effect and to hydrate. Okay, how to be miserable and ruin your life. So let me go back to the guy that we, I read the quote from at the beginning, Mark Manson. I will say to you, I think he has really good advice. I'm really fascinated by some of his stuff. I was really glad the advice he gave me this week is you don't have to listen to all my advice. I find him to be snarkier um, and more sarcastic than is my favorite flavor of ice cream. What I think, why I'm glad he exists and why I'm glad he has the style that he does is that I think he reaches people that would think of Uncle Paul as maybe a little bit too uh, sweet or syrupy or or not real life enough. And and certainly somebody like Tiny Buddha, Lori Desheen, I think is, is even farther in the scale where people um, might might wonder if she focuses too much on the positive or her stuff is a little a little sugary sweet. I don't I don't think that. I actually think her stuff is amazing. Um, but he reaches he he reaches people that I don't reach. And, and so for that, I give him credit. And then some of this stuff is good. I normally like to focus on the positive, what focus on what to do, not what not to do, but this list is compelling. And I, I think it it uses humor um, and, and a little bit of snark to make some excellent points. So let's dive in and see what you think. Um, Tip number one, how to be miserable and ruin your life. Always blame someone else for your problems. because that is just fabulous. And again, the case I think he makes is that you, uh, it it is a tendency we all have at times to, to, especially when we're in victim mode, is to see the causes that are are beyond us. But what what it tends to do is disempower us and it keeps us trapped in a, a pity cycle that focuses on what's wrong instead of what to do to, to, to fix it. Um, because listen, healing 
is your responsibility regardless of who broke you, right? No matter whose fault it is, parents, somebody, some something that happened, your boss at work, the person on the street, no matter who broke you, your job is to fix you. It's your always ultimately your job. Um, and that doesn't mean you don't sue someone because they wronged you or that you don't seek vengeance or justice or whatever the thing you need, blah, blah, blah. If you're waiting to heal, if you're waiting to solve a problem until somebody else steps up, you might be waiting forever. You might be waiting a really long time and you're putting your life in, in somebody else's hands and that ain't it. Rant over. Complain constantly. Oh, what a, what a great way to frame it because yes, that's definitely guaranteed to keep you from lifting yourself up and, and to, and to keep others down there with you. Um, avoiding anything remotely uncomfortable or challenging. It is very true that when we use, do I have my little post? Oh, I do right here from a call from yesterday. You all know I talk about the balance between seek, sorry, it disappears, um, seek comfort and seek challenge and how we need a balance of these. And if you've seen me give a talk in the last 15, 20 years, you know that I talk about how we don't naturally seek a balance. Our default is to seek comfort. And so I, and I will tell you, I'm tweaking my, my college orientations this fall to more directly address what I think is happening with discomfort. I think the same way we saw a surge of peanut allergy allergies, because parents were doing such a good job of keeping potential toxins away from their kids, that one of the inadvertent side effects is to actually um, prevent people's natural immune systems from build immunity to things that they could, with a little bit of exposure, build up resistance to. And I will tell you that I think more and more of our college students, more and more young people are allergic to discomfort. And they don't want to have a speaker on their college campus that disagrees with what they think. They don't want to be, even have to know that people that believe something different than them exist in the world or much less be in the classroom. And, and I think when um, the problem is discomfort is required for growth. We, we, there's, there's a difference between being unsafe and, and uncomfortable. And I don't think people should have to tolerate being in work environments or educational environments where people aren't looking out for their best interests or are calling them names or not recognizing them for who they are. And I think we need to, be willing to to move towards discomfort, um, to step into our discomfort zone um, and directly address challenges more often to strengthen us. I would do a lot more weight training if the weights were lighter. <laughs> I don't like weight training because the weights are heavy and everyone tells me, yeah, but you're not gonna, you're not gonna get stronger if you only lift weights that don't feel heavy to you. We get that, right? We get that. Um, a great way to be miserable and ruin your life, number four, wait for somebody else to come and fix all your problems because, yeah, obvious. Get extremely angry when that person doesn't fix every single thing on their plate. Again, obvious. I love it. Uh, let's go on. Let's finish our list. Become absolutely obsessed with what other people think of you. What a grand way to take power away from yourself, put it in other people's hands, to be miserable and possibly ruin your life. Validate all your horrible thoughts and ideas on social media. You, you probably know 
that when social media, and indeed to some extent the internet, but when social media came along, we really imagined that the peripheration of the, of the web and also social media, that it would democratize the news and that it would, it would make it easier for people to be heard and for us to figure out how to get along. And what we predicted didn't turn out to be true because we didn't count on the fact that what social media folks found out when they tried to figure out how do we keep everyone on social media longer, they assume for the first five or six years that it exploded that we feed them stuff that they want to see and they'll be happy and stick around. And unfortunately, when they found out what caused people to get engaged and get involved and scroll more is to find things that upset them, to find things that that piss them off, find things that are the opposite of what they believe, because righteous indignation is a lot of people's one of their favorite flavors of ice cream. And we didn't really know that until these um, algorithms started proving it. And so what happens now is you have an idea about the other side is so terrible. And probably if you hop on your social feed, you can find lots and lots of evidence of just how true that is. Unfortunately, another way to be miserable and ruin your life. Number eight is to numb yourself with alcohol, gambling, online television, because preventing you from feeling your feelings, preventing you from processing your thoughts turns out to feel good in the short term and just not be that useful for the long term. And finally, to believe that changing is fruitless, um, impossible, is not going to work, is going to keep you where you're at and probably uh, quite possibly lead to being miserable and ruining your life. So snark, 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 opposite of what you should be thinking about, some things to think about. We have, I think, enough time to at least get to this very quick quote that I heard Adam Grant talking about in a conversation with somebody that I can't remember um, on a podcast. And apparently this is one of his big things. Um, it, um, don't trust your gut, test your gut. And he makes a really compelling case, and he has lots of evidence to show it that when people trust what they think is their intuition about things, that the biggest problem is that it might not be their actual intuition that they're lit, that they're hearing. It might be um, fear. It might be insecurity. It might be messages that they've picked up from other people. It might be their ego. It might be a part of them. It might be a younger part or a, a scared part that is, is trying to, to trying to help the overall system that is us. And so he says, I, and, and, and it's not that you just immediately ignore you, you have this gut feeling, you have this thought. And then he's like, wait a second. Is this, is this true? Is this real? Let's just do some testing. And I will pause right here. Let's go. We're going to go ahead and put closure on this, but I, I will say about this piece here that, um, one of the reasons that I wanted to put together this presentation, both the Tuesday and the Thursday one, is because I knew it would allow me to actually process this list of useful information. And I will tell you that I have had Don't Trust Your Gut, Test Your Gut written on something on a, on, that's been on my computer screen a lot for, I want to say months. 
And I've had it in that list for a long time. The first time I can think of really using it actually live while I was having a situation was yesterday. After I had set up these slides to show you, I didn't, sh this wasn't one of the things I shared with them on Tuesday, but I had been practicing these slides and, and, and had my notes already printed out. And I had a little emotional freak out about something. Um, and I, it felt like my gut. It's like, I knew this, I knew this was going to be a problem. I knew I shouldn't do it. And it just, and I, I must have formulated something like that's my gut. I know to trust it. I'm like, wait, let me test this. And I realized I was, I was tired. I was cranky. I didn't have a good night's sleep the night before. Um, I was overwhelmed with a couple things and I'm like, you know what? This might be my gut, but it might not be. Let's delay the decision. Five minutes later, not like it might, it might've been seven minutes later, but it wasn't 10 minutes later. I'm like, oh, that was not my gut. That was my tired, cranky stuff. Oh. Huh. So why don't we call it there when you, um, get the liner notes. If you're, if you're watching the video, I will post the, the last thing that I was going to share and we'll, we'll wrap this up here. Um, and in, and in order to do that, well, I will turn off the share. I will remove the spotlight so that we can all be a little gallery. And I can say to the people that are listening or watching to this later, thank you so much for taking time to spend this with us. And if I could have the people who are on screen, just do a little wave um, to the people. So as we stop our recording that the last thing they're seeing is